0: Well, good morning, and welcome here. It's uh, it's good to have you. My name is Luke. I get to serve as the pastor here. And, uh, yeah, it's great to have you here this morning. A few announcements, and then we're going to uh, sing some songs. Uh, a couple of exciting things coming up on the schedule. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And uh, as you know, traditionally, we invite kids and our kids and Wednesday night kids to wave some palm branches and sing a few songs with us. So we might have uh, uh, some more visitors with us on that morning. That's great. So if you see somebody you don't know, um, introduce yourself and, and, welcome here and uh if they're new they'll feel welcome and and if you just forgot and have amnesia then um now you know so um yeah that's coming up next week um also next week uh we're doing we're handing out cookies again in the morning uh going to spread out throughout the the community and so if you'd be interested in being part of that we'll meet at nine thirty by the kitchen and you you are all welcome to to come and, and be a part of that the the most disarming person to knock on your door is grandma with cookies, so you are you are never too old for this. Um, and also, uh, in accordance with that, this week, Jessica Tessaman, who is putting together the cookies, uh, Wednesday night, they're going to be packaging those, so you can talk to her about that. March 24, we're doing a Monday Thursday service. It's going to be in the Family Center. It's going to be at 6.30 in the evening, and then, of course, on the 27th is Easter, and uh, that's just going to be a fun, celebrative day, great day to... Uh, bring family and to, and to bring friends. so Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God. You are beautiful. You are forgiving. You are creative. Uh, you are light. You illuminate. You know. You understand. You guide. And God, we give you thanks and praise for that. Uh, Lord, that makes life just so much easier, really. And um, so we thank you and and we bless you that you are a God who, who helps to make life Burdensome. pray that you would lead us and guide us as we worship and that you would speak to us as we study your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen.
1: Please stand with us as we worship our great and mighty God. Oh, Lord my God, when I in awesome
2: wonder consider all the worlds Thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to. How great thou art, how great thou art Then sings my soul. shall come,
0: with shout
2: of acclamation, and take me home, what joy shall fill my Nothing good in me you are love, you are love.
0: foundational principle that undergirds so much. So it's not like something where Word. the the missionaries we, we always have some you know their prayer requests some some neat stuff going on there uh, and um, yeah. So lots lots to pray for. Let us enter into a, a time of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father
2: and chains, the world had a hold on me.
0: I was
2: stoned, I was covered in chains. a fire, deep in my soul, I'll never be the same, I stepped out of the dark, and into
0: In a burn, uh, a house and a, a barn that someone wanted to get rid of. And so uh, the Bradshaw department somehow made arrangements and, and we were able to, to practice with it. And I'm so very thankful. It's, it's just an invaluable experience. But what they'll do is they'll, they'll go into the house and, of course, it's all empty and that kind of thing. But they'll they'll pile up like pallets. a little bit and then uh you know and then we would come in and you spray the ceiling and you don't entirely put the fire out you just kind of spray the ceiling a little bit and then you you let it kind of build back up so that the next group can come in and practice kind of entering the room and and spraying and it's kind of fascinating i didn't realize all this but fire is kind of unique in that it, it you know it'll start in a corner and then basically it works up over and down uh so for instance if you have a couch burn, and uh, and it'll build up really uh, super hot gases um, in, in the kind of the, the roof ceiling area, uh, you know, like well over a 1,000 degrees. But then as those gases heat up, then those gases start to work down, and then whenever those gases come in contact with something, then, then that item will burst into flame. And so when you enter in a room, actually the first thing that you do is you, you spray the ceiling, because that's where all these hot, dangerous gases are then if you have the opportunity, like if there's a window, you'll actually spray water out the window because it's this hydraulic ventilation that will draw kind of these hot gases with it out the window. So you're, you're trying to ventilate that room that way. And so you'll, you'll spray water out. And then the last thing that you would do then, of course, is to put out the couch. And uh, so, it, yeah, it was just kind of interesting. And we were, um, so we had done that for a while. Some flames are, are kind of like, you know, they're kind of like they're the blowtorch, kind of pointed, forceful, blowing, you know, like there are some rooms where it's just this kind of fierce inferno and, you know, smoke is billowing out and that kind of thing. But there, there were a couple of rooms, and I don't know, I, there's probably some whole science on, you know, different cycles of fire and airflow and that kind of thing. But there was one room on the back where, where, the, where the flame isn't necessarily coming up from the bottom. And it's just, it's just fascinating to watch because it doesn't have that kind of forceful blowtorch feel. It's just like this floating, kind of rolling, tumbling flame, and it almost just seems, you know, c- compared to like a, a normal fire, it it almost feels like it moves in slow motion, and it'll kind of ebb and flow. And perhaps you've seen maybe like um, smoke, you know, that'll kind of reach like a certain height, and then just kind of in the currents, how it'll just that being flame and so there were several of us that were just staring inside this one room captivated by, by just kind of this uh, rolling tumbling flame that was that was taking place um, there was another room too and it, and it seems like this is part of the, the progression you know what at first this room just kind of has this inferno of, of flame and smoke coming out but then eventually that kind of goes away and you can see into the room and the room still has all of its structure. But everything now is flame. Um, the walls, the ceiling, everything kind of has almost like a two to four inch flame just covering it. I mean, you, there, there's no paint color, there's no whatever, but there, there's still shape. And so you can see around the corner, or you see the door. I mean, just the door is, is flame. The ceiling is flame. The walls are flame. like everything is just, it's just like it's made like this wall of, of fire. And once again, it's, it's just kind of captivating in there, and there's this intense heat that is coming out of this as, as well, too. Um, a couple times, though, I found myself thinking, you know, to to ever come on a situation and see someone caught in a room like that, I think would just be one of the most horrific experiences um, ever, you know, to be able to look into a room of flame. horrific to look into a room of flames The answer to all that is Jesus. And and what better message is there? That Jesus is alive and Jesus reigns, and that with Jesus there is hope and salvation. We've been looking at some of the I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. Uh, we're in the fourth gospel, um, Book of John. John is interesting. It is not chronological, it's topical. Uh, there's some debate on on what exactly that topical progression is, but it's but well, we know it's not chronological. It is the second i am statement that jesus makes in chapter 8 verse 12 and he makes this statement or the verse reads like this um it just says uh, and again jesus spoke saying i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have light of life and um we don't you know we don't know a whole lot about the setting it's kind of interesting the the whole previous section is the story of a woman caught in adultery and um, they try to trick Jesus. They, they bring her, this woman, and uh, they say, should we stone her? And, and he says, you know, you, let you without sin be the first to throw the first stone. And there's lots of fascinating, I don't want to get distracted by it, there's lots of fascinating stuff uh, that we could um, pull out of there. The whole thing just kind of smells like a, a setup, uh, simply because how do you catch one but not the other, right? I mean, it just it feels very suspicious, like Jesus was set up. So then that's a previous story, and then you have this story that Jesus says, where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then right after that, it rolls into kind of this feisty little argument that, that plays out, because this kind of this, metaphorically, this guy in the back row stands up and kind of calls him a, a liar and then a fraud and, and a cheat. And then he says, you know, according to the law, you have to have a second testimony to validate your truth, and you don't have a second testimony, and so what you're saying can't be true. Says, well, my second testimony is God the Father, but since you don't know Him, you wouldn't know that. And uh, so it's kind of this tense little interplay that that happens. It, it, probably a lot of awkward silence in that conversation. And uh, but it kind of feels like this this light statement is a little bit on on its own. You know, at first when I read it, I was like, ah, boy, I don't know, kind of not a lot of work work to work with here. Like, what am I going to do? Like, did, you know adultery story, and then Jesus says, I am light, and then we enter into this kind of detailed dialogue, arguing about laws and second testimony and and that kind of thing. And um, But then I got to looking into it, and uh, oh, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where it shifted from there's there's no material to work with to there's so much material, how am I even going to be able to, to touch on this? Scripture has almost 1,400 references to light, and as near as I can tell, most of them deal with God being God is light is one of the foundational kind of imageries that, that works all the way throughout Scripture. And in fact, this was such a part, particularly of, of the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew understanding, that when Jesus made the statement, I am light, light, immediately had people calling, standing up and arguing with him and saying, no, you're a liar. I mean, this was huge. One of the first things that we see in Scripture, the earth is darkless, it's formless, it's void. What does God do? In heaven, there will be no need for sun, there will be no need for lamps or flashlights, because God will be our light. And just woven all throughout Scripture is this idea that God is light. Um, Even during the Exodus, right? Uh, Exodus 13, God goes before them as a pillar of light. Uh, Isaiah 60, the Lord will be your everlasting light. Uh, The psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And so because he is both light and salvation... Whom shall I fear? It's a rhetorical question. He's basically saying there's no one that scares me because God is light and God is salvation. Um, God is said to be robed with light. Um, Light dwells with him. Um, Darkness is not a problem. God sees into the darkness because his character is light. Even the book of John, the the, the book that we're in right now, opens up with Jesus' light. I think that's like verse 3 or verse 4, in him was life." And the life was the light of men. First um, John, God is light, there is no darkness in him. Uh, James references God as the father of light. Um, God is thought of as living in light, and that no approach no person can approach him. Jesus says, I am light. Um, light is so, so associated with God and with and with life that when Satan wants Or even to deceive believers He has forced to masquerade As an angel of light Light is so a part of God's character That when when Satan wants to attempt deception He masquerades as light Uh, Satan in an effort to keep as many people as possible um, It talks about how he's blinded the minds of the unbelievers So that they cannot see light of Christ, the light of God. Uh, so yeah, when I first started, I thought, man, what, what, what are we going to go with? Uh, and then I looked into it, I thought, okay, so what, like, how much are we just going to weed out? <laughs> I mean, what, what are we going to focus in on? Um, but when it comes to this idea of God is light, really there's kind of two things uh, that, that I want to go over with you today. And the first is that because God is light, there's nothing hidden from him. So when that comes to your sin, that's can be kind of bad for you, but ultimately good, but it feels bad at first. But also when it comes to your good works, there's incredible confidence and assurance in that. But the second thing is that because God is light, it it illuminates a path for us. I mean, within this verse, Jesus says that whoever follows will not walk in darkness. And so because we we have this opportunity to see things clearly, not, not only do us heading but it allows us to live deep and rich lives Um, Matt Chandler had a phrase that I love he he said to follow Christ is the death of boredom so good so anyways first God because his nature is all he sees because he is light he sees all and secondly to walk in light is to uh, live a rich life when your character is light it means that you see everything nothing is hidden from you Psalm 139 articulates this with, with this beauty and poetry. Uh, o oh Lord, you have searched me, you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. Uh, you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, uh, you know it completely, Lord. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I, I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the farmost parts of the sea, even there you are there. Verse 11, surely the darkness, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and light be as night, even darkness is not dark to you. For night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. very poetic. It's kind of easy to get lost in that, but basically saying we can't hide in darkness, because God sees in the darkness as well you. Friends, you have no secret None. You have no secrets from God. And and maybe you're thinking, you know, I think I'm okay with that. Like, I'm, it's been a good week. I'm, you know, I, I, I think I'm cool that I have no secrets from God. And, you know, your face is humble, but your mind maybe has a little bit of a swagger to it, you know, that, yeah, it's been a good week. Okay, now, now let me maybe just kind of retweet that. If we were to take this last week, and we were to just kind of put it all up on the overhead for everyone else, how confident are we feeling now? Okay? Because if you think people in the audience would, would maybe, you know, be a little bit disappointed or frowned, know that God is a thousand times more so. See, we, to, to understand God's love, first you have to feels like it's been a good week. If we were to put it up on the screen, we'd probably say, you know, I'm going to pass on that test. Right? There are no secrets from God. When, when it comes to God, secrets are a myth. Okay, They, they are a thing of fairy tales. He knows all. Um, this is one of the reasons why I'm very honest with God um, in my prayer life or from journaling that kind of thing. I stay respectful, but I'm honest. Because if He knows about it, like let's just man up and call it like it is, all right? Like this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on, right? Like I'm not sassy towards God. I'm just saying, Lord, I feel like. And then I just, I mean, we're both military, right? So let's just, let's just call it. But understanding that God is light is critical in, in dealing with our own sin, because when we don't, when we don't fully understand this concept that God is light, we live in this false reality. where where we think that we can continue to hide our sin in darkness and and where we live in darkness and and we think that that the darkness hides us. Two passages of of Scripture that are kind of terrifying when it comes to sin. Uh, One is within uh, uh, James 1 and the other one is within Romans 1. James 1 in verse 14 to 15 says this, uh, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire... After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. No one holds a baby and thinks, someday, this baby is gonna kill me. And that is exactly how sin is. You know, no no one holds holds a baby and you know this 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 thing is gonna grow up and it's gonna cause my destruction as a baby, right, it seems so manageable. So we keep we keep it hidden. You know, we nurture it. And someone does find out, we say, oh, you know, it's no big deal. I can quit if I want. Until that monster, until that baby grows into a monster and destroys all those around you. Uh, Romans 1 has some uh, heavy verses as well, too. Uh, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of the truth. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart. Verse 26, Because of this, God gave them over. 28, Furthermore, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He, He gave them over. When you harbor sin in darkness, thinking that no one else will know about it or see about it, really one of three things can happen. One is that This is our best choice. Right. Confession can be messy. It may cost you something. It will likely be embarrassing, but it is the best option. Okay. Confessions like paying your credit card bill early. You pay it early. Maybe get dinged a few dollars, but you pay it early. Or you just let it ride until the creditors show up and take away your entire life. Second option. Um, section option is that God, in his mercy, will out you. He will make it public. And you, likely with a bad attitude, will have to deal with your sins publicly. Really, this story of the woman caught in adultery, that's what happened to her. This wasn't, hey, I have this sin that I want to get rid of, where she comes forward and confesses. She got, she got ousted publicly against her will. and dignity, tells her go and sin no more, but but, but she really wasn't wanting to do that. That that, that scenario was kind of forced upon her. And, I mean, come on, like we do this with our kids all the time, right? They do something wrong, we know about it, you know, and we would really like for them to kind of come forward and kind of fess up, you know, because we feel like that's the best option, but if that doesn't happen, what do we do? We out them. God in his wrath will simply go with Romans 1 and turn you over to your sin by to be destroyed by it. Even Paul talked about turning people over to Satan for a season so in the long term they can be redeemed. But just like Romans 1 you find yourself going further than you ever thought yourself capable of going. And folks we we have stories in our own community Someone spend years and years going to church, presenting a certain persona, and suddenly they they get they get caught and 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 just such a deliberate pursuit of of, of violence. I mean, how did it get that far? For them mentally, how did it go that to death. Romans 1, God gave them over. I mean, even when God gives them over, we, we, we treat people with love and respect and we hold out hope. God will never turn away the penitent heart. Remember that. But sometimes we see that in people's lives, right? Hiding small sin, hiding small sin. Sin, sin seems to be getting bigger but, but still hiding it. Then the sin becomes this monster. It breaks out of the cage and People's lives are ruined, and they go further down a path than they ever, ever thought imaginable. They never intended, you know, they never woke up to say, oh, I, you know, but, yeah, Romans 1, Romans 1. Um, A few thoughts on confession. I I do want to, you know, look, we've got probably close to 100 people here, right, okay? All of us have sinned enough between breakfast and coming to church, you know, to justify hell. So, you know, welcome to AA for sinners, kind of type thing. Welcome to your recovery group. Um, how do how do we do confession, right? Like, because some people do it really poorly. Some confession is to God only. All right, those are the easy ones. Be thankful if you're kind of in the God only phase. All right, uh, probably a good number can stay in that that category. Um, some needs to involve other people. Uh, Book of James, confess your sins. One. In, To, to god and either the sin or the conviction does not go away that's probably reason now that that you need to be bringing in someone else and sometimes you can bring in kind of a, a, a third party who's not affected by your sin you just need someone to to just hear you support you pray for you um then that's that's just it maybe they give you some advice some guidelines but it's not someone who's kind of directly affected by your sin Sometimes you need to confess to the people who are directly affected by your sin. uh, Someone who's been hurt or wounded by you, right? So uh, you speak to that individual if they know about it. If they know that that you have this grievance against them. If others know about it. um, Or simply if God tells you that, that you need to do something, right? So you lose your temper, you say something mean. You go to that person, you say, I'm sorry. Maliciously gossiped about someone, but the person doesn't know about it. Then I would say that that's probably another time where you need to approach that person and apologize. Some things you never confess to other people. Um, there are some really awkward, horrible stories out there. Uh, you know, where uh, I knew I knew one gal, and she was kind of recounting this story with kind of a grimace. But you know, the, she had had a lot of negative thoughts towards. The that she had to confess towards that person, you know. So it's kind of that, hey, you know, I just, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I've really been thinking that you're kind of a rat queen out of hell, and I'm really sorry about that. And uh, so I just apologize for harboring all these thoughts about you're just a nasty, nasty person. your sin is still kind of limited to your head uh, you probably don't need to tell that person a good apology i've told you this before but i really need you to know it well a good apology is that you admit wrongdoing you take ownership you commit to not doing it again i'm sorry i hurt you that was wrong of me i promise not to do it again anything that starts with i'm sorry you is not an apology i'm sorry you misunderstood me I'm Sorry, you is not an apology. All right, maybe it's like empathy or sympathy, but it's not an apology. A good apology is always "I'm sorry." I can't. Um, you know, last thing on that, folks. I cannot tell you how many times I've listened to the stories of these just awesome men and. Listen to their story, and almost every time, early on, there was this sense of, I had to go apologize. I had to go confess. I had sin in my closet that just needed to be brought out. And it was hard, painful, awkward, costly, blah, blah, blah. But things are so, so much better now because of it. Listen to those testimonies. Flip side of a God who sees all, and that is that He sees the good, and that is very good for you. Um, multiple times, God, you know, the Scripture talks about God giving uh, rewards. Um, Matthew six. I just kind of all over the place. You know, when I when I left MB Mission, it was pretty emotional. I had this kind of really, actually, honestly, kind of this selfish uh, space where I was just like, man, you know, like, is anyone going to remember this? Nights and, and honestly, it was, it was, the whole thing was just kind of selfish, but I'm, I'm just kind of fretting on, I mean, is this, is anyone going to remember this, or is this just kind of all done and... For God to say, you know, yeah, you've worked hard, but whether or not earth acknowledges, you know, kind of your contribution is pointless, because I kept good notes. I remember, and I'm the one who will reward. Folks, did you know that after Jesus comes again, there's two judgments? One is the salvation judgment. This is, do you get in the glory of heaven? There's very strong support. There is a second kind of almost like reward-based judgment for what you did while on earth. Multiple times, she speaks of reward. Some of you, let me just say this, some of you are closer to the grave than others, All right, None of us know, like, really when our name is up next on the Rolodex, right? But some of you are just closer, and so you've invested more time and energy. live in the suburb of heaven. Identity and earthly remembrance. Place true hope, true identity in a God who remembers and knows and will remember. I will see you in heaven. We will hang out. You will come over to my place. I will barbecue for you. Scripture tells us that at the wedding feast of the Lamb, they will serve the choicest meats and the finest wine. about the days on earth with full awareness. We will talk about those days and laugh and joke and just sit around and sigh. And then we, will, then we will sit around and we will reminisce about the last 5,000 years of heaven and what fun that has been and what all we have learned. Then maybe we'll take a break and we'll have some of Dean's ice cream because he'll be there and he'll probably still be making it. Follow light. When light is bestowed upon you, it gives you direction. It gives you freedom. It gives you purpose, and you have clarity on where to go. Walking in darkness is difficult. Even if you think you know the terrain, it's difficult, right? How many of you have walked through a living room or a kid's bedroom, right, late at night, lights are off, and you know the lay of the land, but you're still like stubbing toes and stepping on Legos and knocking over Paw Patrol sets and what? I mean, there's bad words. Think you know the terrain? Darkness makes it hard. But when you walk in light, you can see where you go. Um, yeah, Matt Chandler had that phrase that I love: uh, "Life in Christ is the death of boredom." When, when we walk in light, we see where we're going. Light allows direction and, and purpose, um, uh, and and it allows us to have purpose and direction in work and, and school allows us to enjoy God and His creation more fully because we have that awareness. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy common graces. All right, uh, As a non-Christian, you can enjoy a nice meal. You can enjoy vacation. You can enjoy physical intimacy. But to enjoy the fullness of those things, you really have to be a Christian because outside of Christianity, you will always hit this low ceiling and And never appreciate the full enjoyment of those things. A non-Christian eats a nice meal and says, oh, that that was a good meal. A Christian will eat the same meal and think, yeah, that's a really good meal. But also, how creative and generous of God to, to create food and flavor and give that to us? I mean, your body needs oxygen, but there's no flavor in that. but but you need it, I mean, try going without it, but I mean, who even thought of the idea of let's put flavor in food just cause, just to make it fun, I worship God for the dairy cow and the pig on a regular basis, because of what they give me, alright, I mean, that's most of your cheeseburger, all. I'm kind of a purist. I don't put like the ketchup and the mustard and the lettuce and the veggies and like just the bacon and the cheese and the the apples. That's worship for me, people. Our God is so creative and so generous and so loving that if you do have to take that off-ramp of the things that you're ashamed of. Take that off-ramp of confession before you get relegated to being ousted or turned over. Because light is an goodness of God in in the gift of those places.
2: Thank you. a new song. and rainbows of living color flashes of light